this is our last week of the Our Father series, and I don't know about you, but this series has had a definite effect on me and the way that I pray, and I feel like there's kind of been a shift in my spirit. And if you've been tracking with us during this series, and by the way, if you've missed any, you can catch up online or on our um, BBC app. We have been learning from and hopefully learning to live out the Lord's Prayer. And as we said at the beginning, that the Lord's Prayer is one of the most familiar and perhaps one of the most dangerous passages of Scripture in the Bible. Dangerous because it is so familiar. Dangerous because for many of us, we can recite it without even thinking about it. And if you grew up like me, you can say it in seven seconds flat. I know, because I time myself. Um, it can be so familiar that it can be like living right next to the train tracks and not even noticing or hearing when a freight train goes by. And dangerous because once a passage of scripture no longer phases you, it can no longer help you. So during this series, we have dusted off the cobwebs of a model of prayer that Jesus himself gave when his disciples asked, Lord, teach us how to pray. So church, I'm going to get you to stand again. If we could stand and together, let us read the Lord's Prayer for the last time in this series. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Let me pray. Oh God, I just pray, Father, that tonight, that the truths of the kingdom would grab hold of us, would just absolutely grab hold of us and encourage us in the reality of our day and what we're facing, God. So I just pray now that you would absolutely have your way, have your way, have your way on your people tonight. Crack us wide open. We're expecting a fresh word. Thank you, God, for who you are. In Jesus' precious name. And everybody said? Amen, amen. amen. Thank you. Have a seat. So Jesus gives us this model of prayer, this template not so much um, to memorize and repeat over and over without even thinking about what you're saying, um, but as a starting point for you to personalize as you talk to God. Because here's the thing, we could say the Lord's Prayer as is. I mean, the church has been doing it for 2,000 years, and it was their habit to say it three times a day, morning, noon, and night. And maybe for some of you, you need to start there. Um, for me personally, I have thoroughly enjoyed taking time to stop what I'm doing, and intentionally praying and meditating on it line by line throughout my day. It's been amazing. And I think if we let the truths of this prayer sink down into our souls, we will find that there is something in it for every season of life that we are facing. You see, we find in the Lord's Prayer compartments to unburden our souls with whatever it is that we're facing that day. Like, do you need protection? Well, there's a line for that. Deliver me from evil, God. Do you need pardon? There's a line for that. Forgive me my sins, God, and how I've blown it again today. You need to forgive someone who sinned against you? There's a line for that. God, help me forgive that person that has so offended me and hurt me. 
Do you need provision? Do you have a need in your life? There's a line for that too. And when it says, give us this day our daily bread, bread is, is more than just bread. What does bread represent for you? Are you stuck in a cycle of bad habits, making poor choices, or struggling with addiction? There's a line for that. Oh God, help me with the ungodly things that tempt me. You see, in this prayer, there is a gold mine of riches. And the Lord's Prayer intentionally begins with praise and worship. That before we get into petition and asking God for what it is that we need, Jesus tells us to start with worship. It begins with our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That is a statement of worship. You see, our God is intensely powerful and in, in, he's um, infinitely powerful and intensely personal Father. And I love how Jesus says that when you start to pray, start with worship. But when you talk to God, talk to him like he's family. Start by saying, our Father. And notice that Jesus doesn't say, start by saying, this then is how you should pray, our King, though he is. And we will cover that in a minute. And he doesn't say, start with our Lord, though he is. No, he says, start with our Father, because that's what he is to us. And holy is his name. And like Colin said when he preached this section of the Lord's Prayer, we find that Jesus rejigs this whole concept of holiness. That in Jesus, the holiness of God isn't separated from us in our simple state, but rather moves toward. Moves towards sinners. Moves towards the sick and the marginalized. Jesus moves towards our mess. And the holiest moment of all, was that he moved when he moved towards the cross and died on it. Oh, holy is his name. Now, the Lord's Prayer ends the same way it begins, with worship. This line is here. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, this verse is called doxology. And doxology is a hymn of praise. And it's how the Jews responded to prayer going all the way back to the days of King David. You see, it was customary that if they were going to go to God and ask him for something that they needed or they wanted him to do something, they figured the only, the only right response to have to end their request or prayer was by worshiping God. Almost believing that what they asked for, that he knew we needed it and he already knows how he's going to meet it. So we're just going to end this request with praise. Now listen, I, I love this because um, how similar the doxology that David prayed to the um, one found in the Lord's Prayer. Check this out in First Chronicles. David prayed, Blessed are you, Lord God of Israel, our Father forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in heaven and in the earth is yours Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all. I love that. And even John, the beloved disciple, in the book of Revelation says he got a window into the soundtrack of heaven, and here's what he heard. He heard this. We got one more ready. He says, then I looked, 
And I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels numbering myriads and myriads and thousands and thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And we could just go home on that. That is awesome. Do you see the consistency to the doxology that John overheard and what David said? And what Jesus said when the disciples asked him, Lord, teach us how to pray. And I will have to wonder if that's not the right formula, that Jesus purposely begins and ends the prayer with praise and worship. Because he knows what we need to know, that doxology, if we let it, can lead to a shift in our perspective. That worship can do what worry cannot. Because most of the time when we go to God in prayers, because we are worried to death about stuff. But who here has found that when you distill your heart and you just start to worship or you crank up that CD, that worry becomes less? I don't know about you, but I know for me, in the times when I've been, just been totally stressed out, that I just start praying and worshiping. And honestly, my shoulders um, go back and I, I just feel so much better. You see, worship elevates our perspective and right-sizes our problems against the greatness of who God is. And more importantly, as you worship, especially when you're, you're afraid, God gives us what we needed most all along, and that is time spent with him. See, the doxology for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory is reiterating what Jesus prayed when Jesus prayed, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And it was a radical and revolutionary statement then and now. Because whenever you're standing in one kingdom and you're saying out loud that you want another kingdom to come and rule, you become a revolutionary. Now, Jesus understands more than anyone who's ever walked planet Earth that there are two kingdoms going on and they're going on simultaneously. There is a kingdom of Earth with earthly thinking and earthly power. And there's the kingdom of God with kingdom thinking and eternal power. And Jesus sees both, um, sees both simultaneously. So, okay, let's define what a kingdom is. I guess the simple definition is that a kingdom is a place and a people who are under the authority of a king. And when that happens, that place and those people are shaped, influenced, guided by the priorities of whoever's in charge and ruling. And a kingdom takes on the character of their king. I mean, every country has its own vernacular for leaders and rulers, um, presidents and prime ministers, etc. But the principle is the same. The place and the people are shaped, influenced, and guided by the priorities of whoever's in charge. Um, just little examples. In France, women are not allowed to wear head coverings or burqas in public. It's against the law. See, the leaders in France want freedom of religion. If you're a woman in Iran, you have to wear a head covering because the leaders want to enforce that religion. In New Zealand, you can wear whatever you want. The choice is yours. In China, in the 1970s, a law was passed that you were only allowed to have one child, the one-child policy. 
And if the authorities found out that a woman was pregnant with her second child, they would come and abort that baby. And, and it's just amazing to me, and because in 2013, they relaxed the law. Now in China, you can have two children. In, um, in Saudi Arabia, um, women are not allowed to drive and are not allowed to go out in public in casual clothes. It's like a law. In Equatorial Guinea, people are discouraged from learning how to read and write. There are no bookstores or newsstands in the country. The government controls all the media. I could go on and on because some of the stuff that I read in preparation and how governments oppress people was absolutely heartbreaking. The point is, for better or worse, richer or poorer, oppression or opportunity, freedom or tyranny, whatever it is, a kingdom is shaped by the priorities of the king. And the whole mission of Jesus when he came from heaven to earth was to show us the Father and to proclaim that the kingdom of God was here. And all through the gospels it says that when he arrived, he went from city to city proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. And Luke tells us that Jesus says, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom. I was sent for that very purpose. And not long after his baptism by John, Jesus began to teach and explain how the kingdom of God works. And early in his ministry, it says in Luke 4 that Jesus went into the synagogue and he opened up the scrolls and turned to Isaiah 61 and he began to read this. And he says, unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. I bet they were. And he began to say to them, today, 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 this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And I think that's like the best drop the mic moment ever. It's like awesome. In another place, he tells the Pharisees in Luke 17, he says, behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. In other words, you want to know where the kingdom is? It's standing right in front of you. Jesus is letting us know, letting us know that there are two kingdoms going on, that we are standing on the kingdom of earth, but there is a deeper reality of a kingdom in heaven. And his mission was to teach us how to live in that kingdom. And on the Sermon on the Mount, where we find the Lord's Prayer right in the middle, listen to how Jesus talks about the priorities and the values of the kingdom of God. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the for those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And further down, he says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sakes, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's like so countercultural. And he says later that you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. Ask and it will be given to you. And he's not giving us little platitudes to live by or feel good statements. No, these are the truths of the kingdom of God. And over and over, Jesus kept stirring up that conversation about the good news and the kingdom of God. And he wanted his followers to as well. Jesus told his disciples, I want you to go from city to city 
And I want you to heal disease and cast out demons. I want you to go to people who are dying and give them hope and give them life. To, the, to go to the oppressed and set them free. To the broken. And I want you to heal them and make them whole. And when they look at you in total amazement, I want you to tell them one thing. The kingdom of God is here. So when we pray, your kingdom come, you're saying, I want my place and I want my people to be shaped, governed, guided by the priorities of our king. And that's King Jesus. I want your will to be done. So when we pray yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory, what we are saying is, I want this place to be governed by what you care about, God. I want what you desire to shape um, what is in my culture. My vote is for you to be in charge. But if you're anything like me, I think whether consciously or subconsciously, we can get it twisted because I know I did. Um, I learned to say this doxology, uh, for thine is um, the old school way, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. And the other day when I was praying this, I mixed up my words and this is what I prayed, no jokes. For mine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. And honestly, I saw, oh, oh, I said mine. And I felt I could hear like my husband's voice in my head saying, truer words were never spoken. <laughs> you know, he knows. He knows that if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. You know, I can say in my head, yours is the kingdom, but live in my heart. Mine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Listen, you and I are either going to be you and I are either going to set our pace by this earthly kingdom and be ruled by our own agendas and our culture's agenda, or we are going to set our pace by the eternal kingdom that Jesus wants to lift us up to. And one of these two kingdoms, as we leave here tonight, will set the agenda, tempo, and rhythms of our life. So when you pray, your kingdom come, we're saying we want God to reign and to rule, but it needs to start in our lives first here and now to have any effect on the world. And when we say thine, not mine, is the kingdom, stick with yours is the kingdom, we're declaring that he does reign and rule, though not in the full ultimate sense that he one day will. You see, Jesus said in John 18, he says, my kingdom is not of this world. So currently, presently, his kingdom is not here on earth fully, but one day, one day it will be. And there's this day soon coming that Tennyson described like this. He said, one far off divine event to which the whole of creation moves. You see, Jesus is coming back. And he's not coming back like he did the first time. He came the first time in the most humble of circumstances, born in a barn, wrapped in swaddling clothes, surrounded by animals. He was raised in a small town, betrayed by those closest to him. He was spitefully treated and spit on, whipped and beaten and given the most shameful, painful death. Crucified to a cross, his body splayed out for all to see. And had he not been given a borrowed tomb, his body would have been thrown into the trash heap to rot. Jesus is not coming back as a lamb to be slain. Oh no, he's coming back as a reigning, ruling, victorious king with the sword coming out of his mouth. And Revelation 19 says that he has 
on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And he will rule and reign with the rod of iron and paradise will be regained and Eden once again will be found and the paradise of God, paradise of God will be with men. And when he returns, every eye will see him and every knee will bow and he will take control of this planet and there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And it will finally be able to be said from Revelation eleven fifteen. The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. And everything that defiles this world right now, from disease to terrorist attacks, he will set right. And when we turn on the TV and we see the headline, breaking news, and it's so disturbing and heartbreaking, and we wonder, God, what are you doing? When are you coming back? Second Peter 3.9 says that he is holding back. He's holding back because he's not willing that any should perish. And it says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't come back before you got saved? Like he's patient. He's patient. He's holding back, wanting more to come to repentance, more to come to know him. And God is at work He's at work and God is currently building his kingdom, but it's inside the hearts of his followers. Luke 17 says the kingdom of God is within you. So as we wait and groan for the kingdom to be everywhere around us, we need to make sure that his kingdom is currently ruling everything inside of us. So when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we are saying, God, I pray that you will do in me what you will eventually going to do around me. Rule and reign my heart. Use me to do your purposes here and now. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. How long will this kingdom last? Forever. Of his reign, there, will, there shall be no end. You know, that phrase directly translated from the Greek means the ages, into the ages. Forever is not some vast expanse of time that is void of anything that would pass the time. It's not an infinite nothing where we're just floating on clouds. Oh no. There are all these ages and ages and ages. And one commentator said it's like the cascading of the ages unfolding forever like a scroll. Yours is the kingdom, God. And as your plan unfolds before us, we begin to see that what you were doing all along. And we get to explore the extent of your solar system. And it, it get to explore the Milky Way and the end of it, and then more and more. And we get to keep exploring and creating as we finally get to use 10, more than 10% of our brains. Imagine the creativity. And as we start to understand the ages, we get to be with him and explore the beauties of his kingdom. And we have ages to get to know more of the infinite riches of who he is and all that he has done for us. Because there will be more grace, more glory, more power in concentrated doses. Finally, we'll be able to take it. And all of it will never end. And I love this quote says here, not there, but not to worry, I'll read that to you. 
Yesterday's empires are today's archaeological digs, yet over the rubble of man's little kingdoms shines the glory of God. See, our, our best is just a sandcastle compared to the greatness of his glory. His purposes are sure, his kingdom will reign, and his never-ending control over the universe is absolute forever. And when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we will have no less days to sing his praise than when we first begun. He's coming, he's building, he's doing, and we can trust him. Amen? Amen. So we're going to end and we're going to say the doxology together and we're going to say it again for the first time. Ready? For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Oh God, may it be so. Let me pray for us. Let me pray for us. Oh Lord, I'm so aware that we hold the tension of already, but not yet. I mean, you, you've come and yet not yet come again. And God, we wait for you. And we believe that when you come, oh my gosh, it will be absolutely amazing. And so God, in the meantime, I just pray that um, your spirit would help us to live the truths of the kingdom. God, that it would take hold of us and that you would help us to be brave, to share the hope that is within us, the hope of glory, which is Jesus Christ. Change us from the inside out. Help us to be salt and light. And help us to believe that your coming again is not some far-fetched idea. And I suppose so did Christmas before it happened. And so did the resurrection before that happened, because you are coming again, and we groan and can't wait for it. Thank you, Father, for who you are. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>